All right, so today we are in part three of our message series called Dwell, looking at uh, this theme of the temple in the Old and New Testaments. Um, and uh, I've got to be honest, um, I, I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback uh, about this series. Um, some of you uh, love that it's it's a lot, that there's, there's, you know, a lot to study. And we're talking about, like last week, we covered pretty much the entire Old Testament through a lot of scripture out, out there. Some of you just kind of, you love all of that stuff. Others of you have let me know um, that it's, it's a lot, maybe, maybe a, bit, a bit too, too much uh, sometimes, um, but, but it's good that we kind of, uh, we, we get this opportunity to, to study scripture and look at it sometimes a little bit more in depth, and sometimes it's a little bit more informational than it is transformational, but uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll get there as well. So, um, so far we have been looking um, primarily in the Old Testament, but today we get to turn the page and look at the theme of the temple in the New Testament, although we're not leaving the Old Testament behind because uh, we need it to make sense of the New Testament. Um, so here's, here's sort of where we left off uh, with, with the Old Testament and the temple. Um, I have a very rough uh, outline, timeline of, of the temple. So first, we talked about, uh, very first was the Garden of Eden. It was God's sort of original garden temple. Uh, that's that's uh, how God imagined it. And then... Um, Fast forward a little bit, uh, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, uh, the first kind of dwelling place for God, the intersection between heaven and earth comes about uh, in physical form through the tabernacle. That's around 1415 uh, BCE, um, which was sort of like this, this portable Temple. It was this massive tent that the Jewish people could uh, take up and uh, put up and tear down uh, because they were nomadic people at this time. Uh, but most importantly, the tabernacle was considered to be sort of God's mobile home, that, that God went with them wherever they were until the Jewish people finally make it to the promised land. They get settled there. Uh, they become the nation of Israel and they build a more permanent home for God, which is the temple itself. That's, that's around uh, 1000 uh, BCE. Uh, and and it's, it's a brick and mortar building. It is, it is the temple. Uh, but over time, we talked about uh, the temple gets taken for granted. It falls into ruin. The people who are placed in charge of, of keeping God's house, you know, holy and, and clean, the priest and the kings, well, they just make a mess of the place. And, and it just, it kind of falls into disrepair over time. And there's, there's corruption, there's false worship. And really, the, the place kind of ends up becoming sort of this standing joke for the Jewish people. And so God sends uh, some prophets to actually kind of curse God's own house as a way to warn the people, hey, clean up this place, clean, clean up the temple, or else God won't protect us anymore. God, God is going to leave the temple behind because you have left God behind. Well, the people, and especially the kings of Israel, they don't listen to these prophets. They don't heed their warnings. And lo and behold, the temple and the entire city of Jerusalem is destroyed in 586 BCE by uh, the Babylonian Empire. But here's the neat thing. Instead of God saying, I told you so, um, 
Well, there, God does say that a little bit. Um, <laughs> instead, God sort of casts a, a new vision for a new dwelling place, a, a new temple, this new intersection where, where heaven is going to, to meet earth again. God, God gives this vision um, to, to some of the prophets, particularly um, to the prophet Zechariah. And so this is what Old Testament prophet Zechariah says. Uh, this is sort of God speaking and saying, Rejoice and be glad, daughter Zion. Because I am about to come and dwell among you. This is after the temple's, you know, just been destroyed. God's giving this new vision. And uh, I will come and dwell among you, says the Lord. Many nations will be joined to the Lord on that day. They will become my people and I will dwell among you so that you will know that the Lord of heavenly forces sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his inheritance upon the Holy Land. He will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, everyone, in the Lord's presence, because he has moved from his holy habitation. There's this vision of, of, God, of God on the move now, moving from heaven. But to where? And so fast forward a little bit, um, Jewish people, they, they do become freed from the Babylonians by the Persians. They return back to the city of Jerusalem. And so they're thinking, okay, God's, God's vision is, is coming true. God's going to dwell with us again. And so they build a second temple now in 1515 BCE. The Old Testament book of, of Ezra um, talks about this whole building project, if you're interested in that. Um, but, but the problem is that this, this new temple, the second temple, it doesn't quite turn out the way that these Old Testament prophets had hoped. In fact, uh, some of the later prophets like Malachi said that this, this temple would be hopelessly corrupt. Now, now, this is why this is important, um, because when Jesus, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is talking about the temple, and he goes into the temple, and he's teaching in the temple. It's this second temple building. Now, the second temple, um, it also becomes later destroyed in 70 CE. That's sort of the last part of our timeline. Uh, it becomes destroyed in 70 CE by the Romans. Um, and we've all, we've all seen a lot of pictures of, of Israel lately. Um, and, and maybe you've, you've seen pictures of, of the Wailing Wall. Um, that, that, is, uh, that is the, the last remaining wall of the temple that remains. And you've seen people there uh, Jewish people uh, praying and, and putting little pieces of paper into the wailing wall, uh, praying, all, praying for, for peace, yes, praying one day too that, that the temple would be restored. That wall has been like that since 70 CE. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. Okay, so, um, so, so that's, that's the timeline. Uh, notice, notice when Jesus shows up on that timeline, though. That's a nice little picture of Jesus, right? Um, not long, not long before the destruction of the second temple in 70 CE. And when Jesus came, Jesus said that, that God's presence and rule would, would come to the world in a new way. And he presented himself as this kind of, of new prophet, this kind of new priest, this kind of, of new king, even though Jesus wasn't actually any of those. He didn't work in the temple. 
There was already an earthly king, King Herod, uh, but, but Jesus was, was sort of the fulfillment or the completion of all of these different roles that you find in the temple. I, I mean, uh, they, were, they were all significant. So kings would build the temple, uh, priests would work in the temple, and, and prophets would correct the temple. If, if worship uh, sort of got out of line, they'd be the ones to kind of put it back on track. And, and so Jesus was the, was the complete, perfect version of all of these three roles. He, he was referred to um, as the Jewish Messiah. That word Messiah it, it means anointed one, and, and that's literally somebody who has oil uh, poured over their heads. This was something, though, that was usually reserved for kings. Um, and so Jesus was seen as, as this kind of new king of Israel. That's why it's so significant that they called him the Messiah. Uh, when he was born, the existing king, King Herod, maybe you remember this story from, from Christmas, um, he, he was threatened to hear that this news of there is a new king of Israel. He thought that this sweet eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus was coming for his throne. Um, and, and, and later on, Jesus's followers would call him their Lord. I could go on and on about this. We're actually going to talk about Jesus as, as king uh, in a few weeks as we prepare for Christmas. But um, the one thing that kings did as the kings were responsible for building the temple, if a temple needed to be built or, or kind of upkeeping the things of the temple. Kings built the first and the second temple. And so when Jesus came to earth, he built a new temple a new dwelling place for God, a new intersection between human space and God space. But this new temple, it wasn't brick and mortar. Instead, it was built with his own flesh and blood. So here's, here's how the Gospel of John, uh, the Gospel writer puts it. Uh, John chapter one, these, these famous words, this is how he begins his, his good news about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I mean, that, just that sentence alone is so powerful. We could probably spend the rest of our lives unpacking all of that. But just for the sake of time, to understand what he's talking about, you could substitute that word, word uh, with the name Jesus or the son of God. And you kind of get what John is saying. In the beginning was the son of God, Jesus, and the word was with God and the word was God. You get John's point. Okay, so skip down then uh, to verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and made his home among us. What's really neat is uh, that, that word there, it, it literally means Jesus Jesus tabernacled among us. Jesus set up a tent among us. And, and John, John, who's writing this in the first century, he, he's, he's Jewish, by the way. He's, he follows Jesus, but, but he would go to temple and all of this. He, he sees the temple outside of his window when he's writing this. And he says that Jesus was the word that, that became a new temple, a, a new tabernacle among us. And, and this was so scandalous to the Jewish people in the first century. John saying that, that God set up camp, dwelt among us, moved into the human neighborhood through this human called 
Jesus, that the God space and human space overlapped in the physical body of Jesus, that Jesus was this, this new tabernacle, this new temple. But what's interesting, what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't just stay in the same place. If you read through the, the, um, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see Jesus kind of all over the place. And, and so just sort of imagine it like this, that, that Jesus is this intersection, sort of like this Venn diagram of, of heaven and earth and these two kind of circles coming together. Um, and Jesus, wherever he goes, he, he's running around um, hanging out with, with sinners and healing people of their sickness, forgiving their sins. And, and each time he, he's essentially creating little pockets of heaven on earth, where, wherever he goes, like little, little embassies of the kingdom of heaven. He's, he's bringing heaven to earth in all of these ways. And, and, and all of the sudden, people realize that, that they could now be in God's space without going to the temple, because Jesus is, he, he's doing it out out here, out, out in a world that's full of, of sin and death. And Jesus keeps telling people that the kingdom of heaven is, is here. It, it's, it's among us. It's at hand. Jesus even told his followers to pray for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth and God's will to be done. So one day Jesus walks into the temple the brick and mortar temple building. And he starts flipping over tables because he's just so mad at what he sees. Corruption of worship. Uh, The priests are are sort of essentially shaking down worshipers um, and to kind of extort them for money. We talked about this last week. Uh, But this is what Jesus says um, in John chapter two. Uh, He, Jesus, said to the dove sellers, get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, passion for your house consumes me. We talked about that last week. Uh, Jesus is like a prophet here, kind of um, critiquing the temple. Watch what happens next. It says, then the Jewish leaders asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jewish leaders replied, it took 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But but watch, 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 watch what Jesus says. Um, But the temple that Jesus was talking about was his body. After his disciples were, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken that Jesus even, even claims for himself that, that he is the, the temple of God. He is this intersection of heaven and earth. And, and, but now in this new temple, this new temple would now be expanded to include everyone. Because Jesus brought an end to the temple model as they knew it. The, the temple model is, uh, there's, there's sort of three essential things that, that make up a temple. The temple model is, there's, there's always a sacred place, sacred places for the Jewish people. That was 
That was the temple in Jerusalem. There's always sacred text. And so for the Jewish people, that was the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. Um, And there's always sacred men who run the place. And yes, it is actually always men. Um, And and so Jesus, Jesus would come along and he would say, look, there is no longer a need for a sacred place because when you're standing in the temple, that what you think is, is the most holy place on earth. Jesus says, the person to your right and the person to your left, they, they are more sacred than the dirt underneath your feet. Jesus would come and say, you are sacred, and you are sacred, and you are sacred, and you are sacred. The, 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 the person next to you is more sacred than any building you will ever go into. And, and there would no longer be a need for sacred men to be interpreting the sacred text for everyone else. In fact, uh, a lot of the arguments that Jesus gets into is because the religious leaders of the days, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, he, he was just so upset the way that they kind of twisted scripture and, and picked out just the things that they wanted to pick out and highlight the things they wanted to pick out. And, and they placed all of these like heavy burdens on the people that, that you got to follow this law and that law. And Jesus was just so tired of it. And Jesus would say, look, there's not going to be a need to like have a priest anymore. Somebody who mediates you, a middleman between you and God. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. It just kind of puts this so succinctly. It says, there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. The human Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a payment to set all people free. That, that because Jesus is fully God and fully human, he, he stands in that place for us. That, that nobody, nobody would have to stand before God for you and, and ask God for your forgiveness of sins. No, no longer could a human judge you as worthy or unworthy, righteous or unrighteous. No, no longer would you need a priest to mediate between you and God, because now Jesus stands in that position and we can go straight to him. And Jesus was even called this great high priest. Like uh, book of Hebrews, look at this, Hebrews chapter four. It says, also let's hold on to the confession. Since we have a great high priest, he's talking about Jesus here, who passed through the heavens, who is Jesus, God's son. Because we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness, doesn't, doesn't know us, but, but instead, one who is tempted in every way that we are, except without sin. And so they, they called Jesus the great high priest, even though Jesus wasn't actually a priest who worked in the temple, but he is, he is perfect. He is complete as a priest. Because what did the high priest do? Well, not only were they sort of captain of the temple, but they were the ones who were responsible for going into the holiest place in the temple, the Holy of Holies, and offering sacrifices to God on behalf of all of the people. Particularly, this was done uh, one, day, one day a year, uh, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. But, but Jesus, Jesus wasn't just the high priest who made a sacrifice on our behalf. 
he was actually the sacrifice himself. Now, this is, this is where um, we as modern Christians in, in the West, like we, we get a little lost in this and it, it just kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us when, when we start talking about sacrifices and animal sacrifices. And maybe you've tried to like read through the entire uh, Bible. You get to that book of Leviticus and you're like, there's just so much blood. Why? Why all the blood? Like, we, you know, there's just animals getting slaughtered all the time and, and it just kind of doesn't make sense to us. But there's all of these animal sacrifices of, of bulls and lambs and doves. It's sad. I know. Poor little doves and lambs. Um, it's, a, it's just this really strange concept to us. But, but for the ancient Israelites, it, it was sort of seen as the animal was, was standing in our place. You know, the animal was substituted for us to, to take the place for us. I guess kind of like um, pinch hitting in, in baseball and, and the animal kind of gets hit by the ball and we can go and take over at first base. I think that's how, I think that's an actual thing in baseball. I don't know. I don't really, I don't really watch baseball, but I think that's, that's the thing. If that analogy makes sense to you. Uh, but the sacrifice of the animal, not only was it kind of taking our place, but also it was seen as, as creating kind of a, a clean space so that you could enter into God's space. It, the, the blood of the animal was sort of like a cleaning agent, which sounds just totally bizarre to us, but it was a symbol that, that we just don't understand. It, it's kind of like um, whenever you go over to somebody's house before or their front door, what, what do you see on the ground of the porch before you enter in? You see, you see a welcome mat. What, what's that there for? You're to wipe your feet on it before you go in. And so the sacrifice of an animal, it was kind of like wiping your feet before you went into the temple, into God's house. I know it's, it's strange for us because it's, it's a symbol and it's a symbol that, that we're not used to in our world, but for the Jewish people, they totally understood this. And so when people called Jesus, like the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world, they, they immediately thought of this sacrifice. And, and his death on the cross was, was a sacrifice that, that makes a brand new clean space between heaven and earth so that all who believe in Jesus, who clothe themselves in Christ, this is how the early Christians talked about it, baptized into Christ, that they're brought into this new kind of clean space between heaven and earth. Here's what it says later on in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, brothers and sisters, we have confidence that we can enter the holy of holies. And now he's not, he's not talking about that one room in the temple, the holy of holies. He, he's talking about we, we, can, we can stand before God, the, the king creator of the universe. We, we can be close to God. We can have confidence that we can enter the holy of holies by means of Jesus's blood through a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, which is his body. And we have a great high priest over God's house. Now, when he's talking about uh, the, the curtain, which is his body, in the temple, uh, there's, there's different rooms that you could go into. Um, each one was a little bit more kind of exclusive, and you had to be a VIP member, a very important priest, uh, to go into 
that was pretty good, right? Um, to, to go into uh, the holiest place in the middle of the temple, um, which was called the Holy of Holies, because that's where, that's where God's presence truly, truly was. And what separated the Holy of Holies from every other space in the temple was this huge, thick curtain. It was, it was the veil between the Holy of Holies. And on the day that Jesus died, while he, while he died on the cross, it says that that veil, that curtain of the temple was ripped in two, signifying that God isn't just contained in the sacred place anymore. That, that God, God is now out in the world, set free. You, you, can't, you can't contain God there. God is now out on the loose. And, and everybody can come in to this holy place. Everybody is welcome to come to Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because he is, he is our prophet. He showed us a new way of relating to God. Because because Jesus is our king and, and gave, gave us a, a new temple through his body. And because Jesus is, is our great high priest, that he went before God for us with a perfect sacrifice of his body. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, he sat around a table with his disciples to share one last meal with them. And this is, um, this is how Luke describes it. Luke 22. It says, after taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal. And he said, this cup is the new covenant by my blood, which is poured out for you. A new covenant meaning a new way that, that God would relate to us, a, a, new, a new promise that God was going to create for us. That the no, no longer would you have to go to a sacred place to, to know God, Jesus says. No, God is here. No, no longer would you have to have somebody who stood on your behalf before God. No, Jesus says, come. God is God is here. This is a, a new way that I want to be with you. And everyone can come and experience God's love and God's grace. And that's what we believe. At this table, this meal, is God is here with you and for you. And God invites everyone to come and receive this love, and this grace, this new promise that God has made to you. Let's pray together. Holy God, we pray that you would fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, that you are the one who is able to cleanse us from sin, erase shame and guilt. God, we pray that you would do that. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out over these gifts of bread and cup, that they would be for us the body and blood of Christ, so that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. God, make us one with you, one with each other, one in mission and ministry to all the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.